You're listening to The Life of Tri. It's triathlon for your ears. of try phil rockner and kevin mckinnon here live from the lisa lardy studios uh we are doing this uh talking all things triathlon specifically the mighty hawaiian ironman which was run and done and dusted last weekend kevin was our man on the ground this is triathlon for your ears kevin mckinnon welcome back sir hey thank you so much got in uh last late yesterday afternoon and feel like I've been run over by a truck. Welcome to a normal Kona experience doubled up like it was crazy. <laughs> Certainly was. Now, uh, we are also brought to you today by the beautiful people at uh, Zwift and uh, want to thank them for being on board, Kevin. Yes, absolutely. Zwift is the fitness company born from gaming, gaming and utilizes multiplayer online gaming technology to create rich 3D worlds ripe for exploration. Join thousands of cyclists and runners and triathletes in immersive playgrounds like London, New York, and Paris, as well as Zwift's very own world of Watopia. From friendly races to social rides and structured training programs, Zwift utilizes a diverse or unites a device diverse community in pursuit of more fun, immersive, and a social fitness experience. If you uh, and in the short short form of all of that, if you haven't tried Zwift, you need to. It's an awesome platform. Absolutely, get on board if you're not, um, and uh, it's worth having a muck around. And if you've never seen this before, certainly uh, it's it's good fun. What was not good fun, Kevin? Talk me through it. Two day extravaganza, the first time we've ever seen that. You caught up with the mighty Mark Allen as well, which we'll get to in just a moment uh, in this podcast. So stay tuned. The great man is going to be talking to uh, Mark Allen. See what I did there. Uh, and um, what a time, though. So talk us through it. Talk us through crowds. Talk us through the build up. And we went through this in the preview, but give us another little bit of a picture. Yeah, so um, 5,000 athletes uh, descending on Kona, um, definitely a strain on the community, but much more of a strain, um, and, and I guess in a good way, but um, I just could not believe how hard the folks at Ironman worked, um, and the volunteers and all of that stuff, just, you know, all the all the stuff that we're used to with the Ironman world championship, uh, just doubled up, but, um, Oh my goodness. I just cannot believe how hard, uh, those guys work like to, you know, normally we're all wrecked after one day of Kona and, you know, basically everything had to be reset and start all over again. And, um, yeah, they, I, I think, um, they, they struggled to get as many volunteers as they needed. Um, and uh, but you would never have believed that uh, in terms of just you know watching the way the race went off. And um, you know, I, I'm always amazed at how smoothly they do race numbering and, and all that stuff first thing in the morning and registration, all that stuff just done so, so well. 
um, as they do at the at the Ironman World Championship. But um, you you could tell that it was it was a tough go. And uh, as Andrew Messick said at the uh, pre race press conference, they're going to learn a lot from what they've done because they've got to do this all again next year. And uh, they are they are quite determined that they're going to figure out how to make a little less impact on the uh, on the community um but i think um yeah i think uh the community will certainly have come away with um a big influx of money um you know the prices for accommodation were insane um we were hardly the only people staying out at waikaloa village which is um you know, well down the road, it's 30 minutes down to Waikoloa at least, and then another 10 minutes up to Waikoloa Village. Um, and there were tons of athletes staying down there. It was just, you know, so hard to find places to stay and almost impossible to find places to stay that uh, were affordable. It was really expensive. So with all of that, though, and, and you, you made some good points, and, and I've heard this through uh, the people who I still talk to in this sport, who still talk to me in this sport, um, same thing. They had a lot of crowds, a lot of, um, you know, it was very packed. I, and I saw Messick's comments, too, about the whole idea of lessening the impact. I mean, good luck. How, how do you do that? Like, how do you lessen impact on that on that scale uh, when you've got that many people? It, it I don't know how they plan to do it. Um, it would seem to me a bit of a futile uh, comment to make, or, or you know. And again, well, maybe- yeah, yeah I, I totally hear um, hear what you're saying. I think um, you know, for them, it's uh, and part of it possibly is as much an education thing. So certainly, the impact it can come lessening the impact. The athletes can do a better job. So. Um, you know, the the altercations or the things that I heard about were, you know, when you've got the idiot cyclists uh, dr- riding down the road in big groups of, um, you know, however many and riding three, three abreast across the road, right, instead of single file down in the busy stretches. Um, so that's what they need to keep doing. They, they did a lot of education on that front, and I think it helped, and they will continue to do that. Um, and that's the problem, Kevin, but, with most Ironmans, I reckon, because we said last yes. podcast is that they get shoved into, and they're not kind of tiny, but it's not big, um, and they get put in into these areas, and, and athletes are dicks. They really are. They can be, um, some of them, I'll preface that, um, they can be. They can just, you know, there is a bit of entitlement, I think, about some of the athletes who roll around, and um, it's, you know, a lot of people, and I think Seve, um Kinlay's words were, how would you like to be remembered? And he just says, a good person. I think something of that sort of ilk um, rather than, yeah, you know, respecting, the, respecting the island, respecting the, the community. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, oh, the guy was unreal on that front. So I think that that will go a huge uh, and a long way of, if they can continue on that education front for the athletes. I think that will be um, a big one in terms of the impact. Uh, and then the other thing is to just, you know, spend a lot of time. I, I don't know how you get the message out, but subtly getting the message out that, you know, this is a pretty good windfall for a place that lost all of its uh, tourism for almost two years. Um, 
you know, I, I, I would struggle to see how any of the Airbnb folks who were, um, you know, canceling, canceling uh, reservations and then reopening them up for two and three and four times as much money. Um, I'd hope that they weren't complaining about the fact that Iron Man was there because they, they did pretty darn well out of that whole thing. And yes, I know they're not going to recoup everything they lost in a couple of years, but um, uh, they certainly went a lot further than they would have. And is that so, considered something that they're going to do? Like, is that those sort of prices? I know everyone said, you know, you can go down to town and buy a Coke for 15 bucks, but is that sort of set up? Is that here to stay? Or do you think things will normalize? Or is that not, that's just where we are? You, you go to Kona, you're going to get your pocket pinched. Yeah. So that is the question of the day. I have no idea how that's going to uh, pan out um, as you're about, no doubt, at some point going to. I don't know if harass me or congratulate me on. Uh, we are on our way back again. I'm back no matter what, but um, you know, uh, my wife is requalified. <laughs> um, so um, I think we're... I'm going to stop you there, Kevin. Okay, now, there we go. I'm going to stop you there. Now, a lot of people talk to me about you, and they say, "What's Kevin McKinnon like?" And I say, oh, "He seems like a nice bloke. He's a good fella, you know." I, as long do, as he's in Canada and you're in Australia, we work out I great. I do say that, right? I do say that he's always batted above his average, right, in terms of the uh, the other side. And your your lovely um, your lovely other half has done a beautiful job in, on the Big Island and has become a world champion, confirming the rumour that the triathlon community has long suspected that, Kevin, you have been batting out of your depth, my friend. Oh, from day one, I could have told you that. Um, yeah, the, like no idea how I, how I lucked into everything. Well, congratulations, um, mate. That is, uh, you're on, on team, uh, McKinnon for what a, you know, what her day looked amazing. Um, I was really excited to see, and we had a quick chat via the text on it and, um, it, what a great result. I mean, I genuinely mean that, you know, I know I, I pull the piss out of you a lot, but this is a, a great result and, um, what a, what a fine effort from, uh, from Sharon to get the job done. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So close. She, um, she had to come back on the, on the run and passed, um, another Sharon from Canada, um, in the, in the last, uh, last few kilometers, uh, won by a minute and 10 seconds. Um, so it was, uh, very exciting and very well-deserved, you know, uh, Sharon's been, my Sharon, Sharon McKinnon has been buried in, in COVID as a, a um, public health nurse since that whole began or that whole thing began and it's been a rough two and a half years and uh for her to be able to pull that out was uh just a tribute to you know her single-mindedness and her determination and all that stuff so yes could not be prouder of of that one so yes i'm the nauseatingly proud dad and then uh, now i'm the nauseatingly proud husband so well you should be She's a genius. Uh, I don't know why we don't call her St. Sharon because she puts up with you. Um, in saying that, though, uh, the um, the build-up obviously was there. We have a usual train of kooks who are riding around making a nuisance of themselves. More often than not, though, the athletes try to do the right thing, which we know. Um, yes. And, you know, the useless press conferences, obviously, everyone's playing their cards close to their chest. Uh I just want to uh, stop for the moment and just let's just cast our mind back to what I said in the preview podcast, if we don't oh, mind. Here we go. Uh, let's just take a listen. 
Danielle Riff gets beaten. Okay. Not winning. Just so everyone knows. She's not winning. Okay? Now, I don't know who's going to beat her, but it won't be her day on the weekend. So there you have it, folks. Uh, I didn't know who would win, but I did say it wouldn't be uh, Daniela Riff. There you go. Let's talk about the women's race. Kevin. Um, yes, uh, great call as uh, as usual. That um, you know, I was I'm just I was not willing to bet against Daniela, um, and uh, yeah, no, you you were bang on on that front. Um, it was funny. She was certainly very focused seemed like you know just taking all kinds of precautions you know i i know that you know there was no sort of q and a's with her specifically after the press conference she kind of let everyone know if you want to talk to me it's got to be weeks out and and all that stuff so she was coming in um gung-ho and gearing up for it and just you could tell right from the swim when she came out of the water i just went yep this is not her day uh because she was um right with Annie Haug and uh, I'm trying to remember who else I think maybe Laura Phillip was right around her as well and um kind of went whoops this is not gonna set things up for her yeah I mean she look give her a credit um she did a very nice job of making a race of it right like she really really had a crack but um I mean we'll get to Chelsea Sodaro as well clearly um ridiculous what she got up to but so you know what one of the most interesting things for me sam Lalo, when i interviewed him afterwards um he said that he went up to daniella and you know this is crazy that we're spending so much time on somebody who came was she seventh or eighth um uh when or after the thing um he said uh i went up to daniella and uh said i'm more impressed with this race that you had in kona uh, than your Collins Cup race, um, basically saying, you know, on an off day for her to do what she did was uh, was pretty pretty cool. So yeah. So so out of the um, out of the women's race, obviously there was uh, a lot going on. So it'll take a little bit of time just to unpack some of this. But um, obviously the big the the big I guess story of the weekend is that rookies don't need multiple years at Kona to, uh, to get a win, right? Yeah. Um, for sure. I, whew, I'm trying to figure out the, the best way of going around all that. Um, yeah, we, this was a sea change event. This was, we are seeing a new era of racing at the Ironman world championship. And, um, I think it, the, the impetus started from, the Norwegians, uh, Gustav Eden and um, Christian Blumenfeld kind of rolling in um, as pre-race favorites. And I think everyone else kind of said, yeah, you know what? These guys are looking like they're ready to win this thing. And maybe we don't have to have the years of experience that everyone talks about um, for all of this. Um, we can come on in and just go for it. And um, so... Um, and and uh, in the in the media room heading in as as it looked like Chelsea was about to run away with this title, um, somebody pointed out to me that Chelsea had finished second in Hamburg um, at Ironman Hamburg, which was her first race. This was back in June, and that got completely overlooked. And I was guilty of that too. 
Um, she went 8.36, which is a great time, an amazing debut. Um, and um, But we all were just so transfixed on Laura Phillips' 8.18.20 or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, just missing uh, Chrissy Wellington's record by six or seven seconds. So we all were focused on that and completely ignored the fact that Chelsea Sodaro finished second um, and had a great run that day and was running very conservatively because it was her first full distance race. So um, we should not have been surprised to see Chelsea Sodaro do what she did. Um, but I think it did end up being a surprise for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it took me off guard. I, I'm like you, you, I mean, you do your, your attention goes to the, you know, the names that you know, and you tend to drift towards them. Um, and her camp would be laughing their ass off knowing, you know, we saw this coming, which they clearly did in training. They would know she was in good condition, but there's that real element of what Madame Palais throws at you at this race. And, you know, plenty of rookies have come unstuck. Uh, this week, as you said, this is kind of, you know, we talked in the podcast previous about the multiple efforts that, you know, people like Chris McCormick had to make and, you know, those guys and, and Mark Allen back way back when they really had to suffer through it to actually get into that position to win. So it's a race that can, you know, crack you. And, you know, uh, the other thing is that uh, it's a race where you can score a big result. And we'll talk about that in the men's and then, you may not be seen again, you know, um, and we'll come to that. But uh, Chelsea Sodaro, again, the first American woman to actually get on top of the podium for about 4,000 years. Um, <laughs> and then so there was there, there was some argument because uh, um, we were all sort of saying, oh, it was Karen Smyers. But it actually was Paula Newby Fraser who had got her American citizenship uh, before. I think it was her last title in 96. Um, so, um, so yeah, it, it has been forever and a day since an American woman has won the title. So very, very exciting on that front. Well, an American uh, sure. full stop really, cause they're crap these days. Um, except I guess, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just winding up my American friends. Um, here you go. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ben Hoffman was that other sort of close, but close, but her run, um, I mean, we'll get to, um, Lucy Charles at the moment, but, um, the Sodaro run was the thing that just, you know, absolutely floored me. Um, you know, you don't see that sort of caliber come out and there's a rookie, my goodness, you know, like she was multiple seconds faster than anybody at 251 which puts her yeah. 15 seconds a mile ahead of anybody near her, which was Annie Hug, which, which was, you know, the third place getter. And then, you know, everybody else was almost 30 seconds a mile behind her. I mean, that is just mental. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable to watch um, out there. She just, um, she just looked so strong and smooth all the way through. And um, the thing that was, the thing that was most impressive for me was, you know, the other folks in this race, like Chrissy Wellen, or sorry, Chrissy, uh, Lucy Charles Barkley, um, like she's just got to be going back to the, to the, you know, looking at everything and going, what more do I need to do um, to, to finally get this win? Like she, she seemed to do everything bang on. She had a great race. Uh, but it just wasn't good enough on this day. 
Um, and um, yeah, it's so impressive uh, for Chelsea and just got out there and at no point did it look like, so I saw her as she was heading on out towards the energy lab, energy lab on McQueen K. Um, and as she went kind of, as she went by, I was like, yeah, this is done. Um, like it, it did not even look like there was any chance of her um, fading at all. Um, yeah, just really impressive. And it, one person, obviously, the reef fade, that was unexpected. Um, what was the talk on the course when she was, again, she's, you know, she faded into eighth position um, after taking having some of the lead? So what was that conversation about? And then I want to talk, too, about that I'd, um, the, the refs out on course as well. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I didn't hear a whole lot. It was just, as I said, it was evident to me that this was not going to be her day um, out of the water. And I think, you know, she did. Yes, she went to the front, uh, but it wasn't a dominant move. Like she had to work really hard to get up to the front of the race, um, uh, which she did. And then, um, yeah, it just it really looked early on in the run uh, before Chelsea started doing her magic on that marathon. Um, it just, it looked like this was going to be the Lucy Charles Barkley show. Like she very quickly went right past Daniela on the run and, and, and off she went. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I don't feel like there were a lot of people expecting, um, Daniela to, uh, to pull this off based on what they were seeing out there. You could just tell she was she was struggling to get what she did and you know a great champion right she <clears throat> she uh put did everything she possibly could on a day when you know you could just she came over the line and just kind of shrugged her shoulders and just went this was not my day um but she um as a great champion sort of went in and did everything she could to try and make it that way so my hat goes off to her and she um I think she will gain even more fans uh, from that performance than she might have had she won. You know, with a dominant performance, I think a lot of people now look and go, yeah, you know, she's she's uh, a true champion because she, you know, didn't pull out, didn't, you know, any, any of that kind of stuff. Um, she just hung in there for as long as she could and did what she could. Yeah, and, and the, you know, the, the idea too that... My question is that you know Lucy Charles is is the injury early in the year and the comeback was it a stretch for her to get there and and you know has she got more improvement or as you said you know is she destined to be that sort of bridesmaid? Oh, absolutely not. Um, I think um, she uh, she just keeps putting stuff in place um, to do all the right things and you do have to remember for her just getting to the line was in her mind. It was, that was a victory um, coming off the injury and literally having to kind of relearn how to run. And like, they spent a lot of time on her rehab to try and make sure that the, the injury won't happen again. So, you know, she's done all kinds of stuff working on her form and, and, and everything to, to work on that. So, I think she truly was rolling in going, Hey, this is a bonus. 
and to get another runner-up finish. There is nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Just super impressive racing. And, um, you know, I think she had a great day. I think that was 841 and, and change. Um, and the conditions were much, uh, yeah, I, I guess I can say much tougher. The women had a much tougher day than the guys did. And so um, for her to pull out all of that, for her to have such a great marathon, like it never looked like she was going to be threat. Well, I shouldn't say that. Anyhow, sort of another great champion, right? Like tried to put herself in a position yeah. to at least get past, um, put everything in place, and then just, you know, Lucy shut that down. So, um, you know, Lucy had a great day and, um, you know, there was nothing she could do about Chelsea's, Chelsea pulling out all the stops. So um, she just keeps... She just needs to keep on keeping on. She got her first world championship uh, last year. I certainly wouldn't want to bet against her in St. George again in a few weeks. Um, so yeah, she'll uh, she'll just keep getting better and uh, get you know some more running under her under her legs, and you know we'll see how she does in Kona again next year. It's got to be playing on her though, like the fact that she got beaten by a rookie. I mean, I know she's like in the in the media and all that kind of stuff. She'll do what she does because she's the best pro in the world next to Fredino. Um, but and by that I mean like just everything had the full the full package on uh, on Lucy Charles Barclay is insanely good in terms of how she's managed and the externally facing things that she does. Um, but you know, do you think her team? Do you think they're that's the one that got away, or you know, where does that improvement come? I mean, she swims well, she rides well, she ran obviously not as quick. Um, you know, is she going to be looking for that, and where does she find it? Um, yeah, no, I don't think there can be any complaints about um, about everything she did, and the thing that these guys do so much better certainly than i did i ha i have no idea how your racing career was but um i was a basket case heading into races and and just you know, would be a bundle of nerves and was never very good on the mental front of of all of the racing stuff and these guys like you know the lucy charles barclays of the world are able to really focus on what they need to do. And they, they don't get really hyped up about the external stuff. Um, yes, I'm sure Lucy Charles Barkley came out of that going, man, I would have loved to have taken the win. Um, but then she, you know, she quickly turns around to look at all the things I did right. And okay, now what do I need to work on to go after next year? And um, I think it's just having some more run stuff under her belt um, heading into next year's race, you know, just staying uninjured, um, and doing all of the work. And, um, I think that will be all that she needs to do. Like she's such a rocket in the water. It's unbelievable. Uh, she had a fantastic bike ride. She was the one, um, well, actually, um, uh, Fenella language actually, uh, did a great job of helping keep things moving for her as well out there. Um, so yeah, she just needs to pair up with, um, my guess is that next year there will be a few of them to, uh, to join her up at the front, um, of the bike and they'll just keep hammering away. And, um, for her, it's, if she can come off with a lead of five or six minutes and, uh, run a few minutes faster, then, 
you know, she's putting herself in a position to win this race. So, yeah, there's absolutely no panic, uh, I would imagine, on that front. She's still young. She's got time. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, Chelsea, or, sorry, Lucy Charles Barkley, insanely competitive. So she wants to win this race. Um, having to beat Danielle at her best, Chelsea Sodaro at her best, uh, Annie Haug at her best. Like, she wants that. So she'll she'll work hard to make that happen. Well, it's that old saying that if you want to be the best, you've got to beat the best. So, you know, she's clearly in the in the window now in the next few years to get it done. Um and that's that's no lie. The the officiating at the, the women's event saw a lot of cards coming up. Um was that a talking point? I mean it this is the first year that the women had the road to themselves, which this is the reason why they did the double day, um, and part of the reason I would have thought, um, not all the reason, uh, but certainly it, it just cleared out, didn't it, for the women? Yeah, well, and and certainly, um, you know, I, I had a quick chat on on the men's front. Um, why am I taking a mind blank? Uh, Florian Anger, um, who you know, kind of. I, I went up to him and just said, hey, class act the way you handled that penalty and everything. And he said, yeah, you know, what, what else can I do? Um, but he said, I've looked at that video where, where they made that call and I cannot for the life of me figure out how that call happened. Um, and yeah, similar, you know, I had more than a few people walk up to me um, afterwards, including Bob Babbitt kind of saying, the, uh, after the women's race, it just seemed like some of the calls were kind of crazy. And the last thing, like Jimmy Riccatello, if you were listening, last thing I'm trying to do is is be critical here um, of the of the officials. I know you guys have a crazy hard job and everything, um, and uh, it's just unfortunate that that some of those calls ended up being so critical. And yeah, you know, I I know that. Uh, Jimmy and the crew will go back and and evaluate all that all that happened. <clears throat> Sorry, um, but yeah, I think there needs to be a close look at at how all this stuff is happening and and if all these calls were correct, great, more power to them. But uh, just you know to make sure that they're they're on top of that and and I know Jimmy will. So um, yeah, look, I'm not I'm not debating the calls. Like I'm not I'm not saying whether they're right or wrong it just it seemed like we saw more than normal is what i'm saying and i think do you attribute that to the road being clearer the women's race being in its own uh in its own bubble um you know they're all professionals out there and and not only that too you know refs calls each week on any ball sport around the world are going to piss people off you know yeah you're never going to get it perfect now i didn't haven't seen that i'm not i'm just it seemed like there was more than normal um, which would have put, I thought, uh, the wind up the men too, who were racing a couple of days later to see the, you know, that the fact that the um, refs out there, the TOs, technical officials, whatever you want to call them, uh, have got their cards out and are willing to use them. Yeah, <clears throat> which is, and, and that's actually, Phil, a great point because how often do we complain that, they, you know, they're not doing stuff and now they're out there, um, I do think that was a, a factor, right? Like you don't have to split your lead officials to two different races. Um, you, you've got you've got that crew right on there. 
Um, and yeah, making those calls and the lesson, most of the pros I talked to, they came out with, yeah, you, if you were pushing that envelope, you were an idiot, right? Like you need to um, not leave 12 meters. You need to leave 15 to 20 meters in between and, and not take any chances. Um, and yeah, so if you ride on the edge, right, Kevin, if you ride on the edge, you, you, I mean, what happens happens. And if you're riding on the edge and, you know, um, the crews who work this, Riccatello and those guys, they've been doing this for 4,000 years, um, you know, and ex-pro too. So you're not sort of just got someone who hasn't seen the sport at the pointy end. Jimmy Riccatello was a very sharp athlete in, the, in his day. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and spent his career being frustrated at, at watching big groups come and because he was like hands down the best cyclist around uh, when he raced. So yeah, totally on it. And yeah, and so what happens is uh, for the folks who are on that edge, staying too close, somebody slows up just a little bit and boom, they're into that zone. And yes, it might only be for a second, but they're in the zone, right? And yes. and so here we are, we're, we're demanding that these guys make the calls, they make the calls. And then people are like, oh man, should they be making calls? Well, absolutely they should. Um, so um, so yeah, I think if the less, if there was a lesson out of it, it should be, you know, this is the last place you want to push the envelope. Yeah. hundred percent. You don't No, just a hard no on that one. Um, you got to be careful. Um, nice to see, uh, Heather Jackson finishing her career in Kona. That was cool. Um, she's one of, uh, one of the real characters of the sport moving on to dirt and gravel and things like that, I believe. Um, so nice to see her going out. Um, and it's always been a tough race for her. This one, she's won races around the world. This one's tough, but Anne Hag too, you know, with hers, that top sort of three spread was pretty decent. Wasn't it? I mean, you had 11 minutes separating the first three women and then there's a gap to, you know, eight and then and then it spreads all the way down. So, you know, in half an hour, you got the top 10 women in there. So that's pretty decent racing, I would have thought. Absolutely. It was just, a, you know, a great woman's race. And uh, before we wrap up, um, if you have a chance, I have no idea where it's available. And we're going to do a, a follow-up story in our in our November Kona special edition of the magazine. Chelsea Sodaro's speech after her win, uh, like at, at the award ceremony, possibly one of the best victory speeches I have ever heard in my life. Talked about, um, you know, sort of women's, uh, the, the whole maternity thing and women's ability in the sport and equality and just unreal. So well done. And um, she is a, not only a class act, uh, a super mom and, all that stuff, but is paving the way um, for our sport. A much already a great champion just from that speech. It was it was really well done, and um, yeah, we'll have to I'll have to sort of track down how we can uh, get that out to people because uh, everyone on the every triathlon fan on the planet needs to hear what or read what she said. Yeah, and I know she sort of paid tributes to her team too, which is looking after kids and doing all that sort of stuff. It's incredibly difficult. Um, and as much as we want to call 
pro triathletes, professionals, um, you know, it's not the nosebleed money of other sports. So there's a lot of hands-on work still going on. Um, my favorite thing in the world is that pros still build their own bikes. It just cracks me up. <laughs> Kevin, um, the women's race one and done. Are you giving it a thumbs up for its own space and a separate day? Absolutely. And uh, as somebody pointed out on Facebook to me, they, you know, it wasn't a, completely separate women's day this year it will be next year um so you know the women were racing there was men 25 to 29 and men 55 and over i believe who were in the um on that thursday as well uh so there were some men on that day but the women pros were all by their lonesome and then um which was great and totally thumbs up and the other huge thing is that you know, and it finally puts that whole 50 for Kona thing to bed. Um, you know, we're going to have the same number of pro women um, in the field as pro men, which is long, 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 long overdue. That's right. So, that 50 women to Kona. Thumbs up. That movement was uh, going pretty hard for a long time with good cause too. Um, moving to the men's event, um a little bit of a uh, a, lo- a little bit more going on in terms of um, a couple of uh, or more importantly, you know, the the results um, with rookies again. Sorry, I should say the link to the both races is pretty solid. Um, you know, with rookies um, vying for the for the for their chance. Yeah, well, <clears throat> you know, so Chelsea rookie and Kona rolls in and um, you know has this has this great day. Um, but, um, it was just all multiplied in the men's race. So the top four guys all shattering Jan Frodeno's course record, all their first time in Kona, right? Like just nothing, uh, nothing short of amazing on that front, how they just, uh, they just sort of have changed the game. And I think this might be a great time to, um, sort of bring in, uh, you know, I had a, had a fun chat with Mark Allen, uh, the grip, uh, six-time winner in Kona, and, and he and Dave Scott were both there and both very involved in the race. And, uh, I, you know, both of them spent a lot of time standing there looking, going, whew, things are a-changing. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I thought Mark did a great job of kind of recapping exactly what we're seeing in terms of the change of the men's racing in Kona. Mark Allen, um, am I out of line saying we just saw things change dramatically on this island at this race? I think we saw the, the next generation fully take over uh, and, and show what's in store. You know, there's, there's sort of like these generational things that take place, you know, obviously and also um, huge milestones in the sport itself that, that signals like, okay, there's a whole new focus, there's a whole new mindset, there's a whole new way of approaching this. And, you know, obviously, like, one of those was when Dave and I showed that, wow, you can actually race this. It's not a survival contest. It's not seeing who slows down the most. You can race it start to finish. And these guys took that concept to a very, a completely different level. I mean, top 10 under eight hours right top four breaking the previous world's record that that no slouch set it was set by Jan Frodeno you know 
and uh, so, and uh, to have you know, men and women to have both the champions be first timers here, rookies. You know, that's only happened I think twice in, in the entire history of the, of the sport. So, uh, Luke Van Leerd in 1996 and, and Chrissy Wellington in 2007. Yeah. So to have it happen in both the men's and the women's race, that to me is a signaling of just a complete generational change. And, and maybe a lot of that came out of, um, kind of out of COVID in the sense that people had time to really train and focus and tweak their, their, their own fitness and, and how they approach things because they could go to races where there weren't many people try stuff out and then all of a sudden now when everybody came together you know the cream rise to the top for sure the other thing and we've been talking about this for decades you know with all the olympic distance athletes moving up and you know like okay everything's going to get so much faster and everything but now it's really been taken to another level you know you've got the reigning olympic um you know gold medalist you know he won in saint george but you know only, I'm putting that in quotes, I promise, uh, getting third here today. Like, it's just that whole pace and everything's been moved up. Yeah, I don't ne think it's necessarily uh, just because Olympic distance-focused athletes have moved up, because that's been, that's been going on for many years. Um, and not all of those who have tried have succeeded. Right. Um, you know, like, going back to early times, I did... Avignon and Ironman Samir won both of them, both Olympic, you know, distance and, and, and full Ironman. Uh, you know, Karen Smyers did the same thing. She won two in the same year. Uh, you know, Christian Blumenfeld winning the gold and Ironman World Championship in a, in a year period. So, and, and, but there's been those who have tried to come up from the Olympic distance and haven't, have not succeeded here. Um, Simon Lessing, I mean, there's a number of people who have tried but not, not done it. Jan Frodeno, clearly, gold medalist and coming here and doing it. So I don't think that's necessarily the reason why it's getting faster because that that sort of transition has been going on for quite a while. I think it's more just a combination of um, really, uh, you know, dialing in how to use data and, and scientific methods to really fine tune an ath athlete's preparation. Like, you know, I think Gustav and, and Christian they compressed the learning curve from you know, what maybe took me 15 years to figure out. They compressed it into just one or two years. Like I, you know, I kind of looked into what Olaf was, Olaf was looking at with body temperature. I mean, you know, nutritional, how much you can get in, you know, what you can push before you blow, how hot your body can get before you blow. All these kind of things. They looked at all of those details that are important for winning here and compressed it into a learning curve that was so short. It took me through more intuitive process. 15 Almost years to figure it all out and, and so um, that's what's super exciting because you learn super quick and then it's like well what's going to come next i can't wait and it seems like because you know we talked forever for two decades like why aren't people going faster here in kona you know like why does Mark still have the run course record? Why, you know, yeah. like, you know, that 89 race and, and you know, you move the record down, but yeah. it was just going down in inches. And then all of a sudden it's been a bang, yeah. right? And and it's exactly what you're talking about, I think. Yeah, I mean, think about uh, Jan Frodeno looking on today. You know, he, he, ha he had the course record and that was a very impressive time that he did. And then 
you know. Four guys go under his time. Four, not just one, not two, not three, but four. That's unheard of. Yeah. Still the fifth fastest ever in Kona. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you on that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, um, and uh, for you, are you when you look at all of this, do you kind of go, oh, man, I wish I was racing now? Or do you think, phew, I'm glad my career is done? I think these guys would be so exciting to race against. You know, I, I'm, I loved having that top level competition. Um, and, and when people innovate and take things to a new level, you know, we sort of me and our, you know, all the all of my compatriots during the time, we all had moments where we elevated things up a little another notch. And so it's like, hey, that's what is he doing? You know, and I think it would be really exciting to be racing in this time where you could you could really go to that level. I mean, how cool would that be to go a 740? I just think it would hurt a lot. Well, you, you get to eat your pizza that much earlier. <laughs> there you go. All right. Hey, thank you so much, Mark, and right. uh, congrats. I know you've had a busy day with all this stuff, uh, but an exciting one. Oh, super exciting, and I'm sure that everybody who watched these last uh, two days, Thursday and today, uh, they're just probably, their eyes got to be popping out of their head. It's so amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, sir. He's one of my favorite dudes, Mark Allen. That's a great chat, um, listening to any time you get a chance to listen to that guy, you do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, just uh, so, you know, super thoughtful. Um, Mark, uh, you know, I, I raced against, or I'm, put, I'm putting that in, in quotes as I'm saying it all. Uh, like I was never, in, you know, in the same postal code as Mark when he finished, but I did end up in the, uh, medical tent in the cot next to Mark. Both times I raced in Kona in 87 and 89. Um, so I know how he suffered to to um, to get his wins. But um, yeah, just really a, such a thoughtful, analytic um, guy about, about the sport and where things are at. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, so bang on. Like the, the big thing, that we came out of Kona with is that the Norwegians have just upped the game to such a point. And we, and we heard Lionel Sanders talking about this, you know, that, that he's just starting to use uh, the core body temperature um, stuff to, to gauge his training and everything. And he realizes that, Gustav and Christian have been using it for three years because they helped develop the technology. So uh, you know these guys are just so far ahead of what everyone else is doing, and um, and the Sam Laidlows and the Max Newmans of the world are like, hey, I'm gonna I'm ready to jump on this bandwagon. And yeah, if if Christian and Gustav don't need to have spent you know years racing here to be able to win, there's no reason why I can't. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? That um, I don't know. Look, the sport's definitely changed, right? It's completely different to what it was, I reckon. And you're right. I mean, th these numbers, these numbers are nuts. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be uh, cautiously happy with what I'm saying. Is what I'm saying. Um, and I want to, you know, to enjoy the sport, and I want to be cautiously happy. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I don't think I want to go down um, the the route where you're gone. I totally there's understand. There's no route, Kev. There's no route. That. There is just I, you know, like I think if we we're in any other sport in the world, and the percentage of fall in times was like this, um, you know, I think there would be. Um, I'm not saying questions, but there would be raised eyebrows. I would think. I mean, but you look at the top ten men all comfortably under eight hours. Under what, eight hours, yep. What's brought this yeah, on? You know, um, and you know, I I sort of alluded to this a little bit in the conversation with Mark, but for so many years, I, and you and I both had this conversation. Why are the times like? Why are Mark and Dave's times still? amongst the best that we've seen in the sport when we've seen such huge changes in the the technology that these guys are are, are using on the bikes um, and I think um, when you look at at the technology changes that that are out there it just makes sense that we're seeing things go where they're going so um, you know the the new carbon plate shoes obviously make a huge difference the stuff that they're doing on the bikes, huge, huge difference. Um, tires and wheels, uh, like after all these years where we thought, oh, what more are they going to do uh, for wheels? And yeah, they're getting one or two more watts and everything. But now that, you know, you look at um, the changes just in tire pressure and how that is making a difference. You know, people running 65 to 80 pounds of pressure in their tires versus the 120 and 140 that I used to use back in the dark ages. Um, you know, all these things are coming together. And yeah. then you add the scientific uh, breakthroughs that um, that are being made um, by uh, uh, Olaf Blue. Uh, I can never remember, um, you know, Christian and, and Gustav's coach. Um, yeah, so it, it just kind of all makes sense. So, um, yes, I am going to be, I'm going to be a little less cautiously optimistic, um, than you on this front. Uh, but yeah, we, you and I both lived through the Lance era and cycling. And so, um, it, we, we just are always doing that. And, and heck, I lived through a ton of, um, I, I, I shouldn't say a ton of, I believe there was EPO being used, uh, back when I was racing by some pros. So. You and I both lived through that. I totally get where you're coming from, but I also um, can see where a lot of these changes are coming from. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you quantify them, and I'm not trying to be mischievous in my commentary. I just think that, you know, there would be those questions asked. Let's just put the Norwegians aside for the moment because they annoy me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They're really nice guys. I'm sure they, they are. They annoy me. They annoy me. Um Sam Laidlow and Max Newman, though, like, let's just put a little bit of time into those two boys. Um, Laidlow's family runs, you know, triathlon school, et cetera, and, and does a bunch of that. This kid has literally torn the lid off the race in, in his effort. Yeah, just unbelievable. 404 on the bike. Um, and one of the craziest comments, he, he got, uh, like, the way he described it, I finally got on a frame that fit me three days before the race. Um, and so I don't know what all they did in terms of his fit and everything, but it obviously worked. He said that he spent now, you know, he also, 
had had the little bit of an advantage of uh, some some awesome conditions. Um, he was having to slow himself down um, with the tailwind on the way back, uh, but um, uh, but yeah, same Laidlo, such uh, so aware of everything that's going on. Like he he sort of you can chat with him and kind of think, oh, this guy's you know he's not analytical and all that. He knew exactly what he was doing. He um, and knew exactly how fast he was going. He kind of joked um, that uh, that he really wanted to, like he really needed to pee over the last part of the bike course, but he didn't want to slow down at all and do that because he didn't want um, to set the record and only have it last for four minutes because Cam Worf was ripping in behind him. Um, so yeah, yeah it, I was impressed at how aware he was of what he was doing. Um, and, uh, and then Max Newman, um, you guys much more familiar down under, like I've obviously written lots about him and, um, and, uh, seen him a few times at events. Uh, but oh my goodness, that guy is the real deal. Hands down the, uh, most aggressive racer in, in the event. Like he, at one point on the run, just went ripping by the two Norwegians like, you know, Hey, guess what guys I'm here and, uh, I am not giving up on this. And, um, Christian pretty much had to leave a lung, uh, down on the queen K and down Polani, um, to hold him off at the end of the race. Yeah. So it was full on, wasn't it? That they were charging. He, um, yes. yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, like I look at these two guys and, and their breakout performances really, um, and, and I wonder, you know, what like we've seen this from lots of different athletes. Now you wonder that they can do it on one day. Yes, they can. Can they back it up? Which is the real question is what we're going to see in 12 months time. We're going to see late low, you know, maybe win, you know? Well, and that, that was the question I asked at the press conference. Um, I, I usually, you know, me, I hate asking questions at the press conference, I prefer to go and do one-on-ones afterwards. Um, but I was, I wanted to sort of hear from, they had six people at the press conference and uh, hopefully we can talk about that momentarily. Um, and, uh, you know, I sort of asked, hey, the two Norwegians say they're not coming back next year. Does that put pressure on all of you guys? Um, yeah, Because right. you know, you'll be the, and um uh, Sebastian quickly said no because he has no intention of coming back. Um, and Laidlow very thoughtfully said, Boom, no pressure on me. Um, there's going to be so many big names. Uh, you know, he said, You just wait. Magnus Ditlove um, will we'll have figured stuff out and, and be a huge factor here next year. And, and um, you know, acknowledging what a great race that Max Newman had. So, um, yeah, uh, it, I thought that was going to be very interesting. I spoke that, about uh, this topic uh, to Chris McCormack one year. And I reckon it was after uh, – I reckon it might have been after when Aussie had got second, maybe Luke McKenzie or something like that. And it wasn't about Luke per se, but it was just the person winning. And he said, yeah, you know, when you get to that second spot, a lot of the time you change your training to get better and you kind of – and again, this is not directed at Luke McKenzie by any stretch, but – I think we were just chatting in general. And he was saying, you know, it can force you to change your training. You do things differently. You try and get faster. You, you know, you you are a lot more 
um, you know, there's a lot of a change versus keeping to what got you to that second or third or fourth spot to begin with. Oh, I mean, yeah. you were looking at four and a four minutes and change for the top four guys at seven forty starting point. I mean, any one of them can win this thing. Absolutely. This, this was a full on race all the way through. Um, you know, I think Dave Scott started that trend um, like proving that Ironman wasn't just something that you're surviving and you're out there racing. And then he and Mark sort of took all of that to that, to that next level. And now it's, yeah, we're in a whole new era and uh, for sure, that's, that's where we are at. Those, those four. Um, yeah. Just what an unbelievable race to, to watch out there. And Patrick Langer got penalty. Did that really stop him? Like, you know, the penalty, in time served, but in momentum lost is also huge, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And, 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 you know, again, I think that's what, um, what will come out of all of this. Uh, the, the officials are on it and they're, this is not the place to be pushing the envelope. This is, uh, you, you've just got to be that much more careful. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I think yeah, penalty in this event was really tough to overcome. I believe I think Magnus Ditlev had one as well um, out there, and obviously Florian Angert, uh, it completely took the wind out of his sails uh, in terms of you know he let out of the water and was obviously right in the mix. Um, but yeah, it's really hard to come back from sitting or standing in a in a tent for four minutes, you know. Uh, and especially, yeah, like Gustav Eden, Christian Blumenfeld, Max Newman, uh, Sam Laidlow, they're not waiting for you. They're not like, oh, I was really sad, sorry to see that you had to spend those four minutes. We'll just hang out. Uh-uh. Yeah. They're up the road racing hard. Like, yeah. And you're gone. Like that, That I mean, it takes a miracle, as you said in the preview. Like, you're not giving minutes to this. You can't, you know, and if you miss the chop on that, then good luck to you. You're not getting that back anytime soon. So yeah. uh, it's a tough one. Sebastian Kinley finishes out on the sixth place with a 7.55. What a class act. <laughs> yeah. Um, before, the, before the race, he'd kind of said that his goal was uh, to make the post-race press conference, which is traditionally the top five. Iron Man, such a classy move. I loved it. Uh, they invited uh, invited him to be part of that post race press pre, post race press conference, and as usual, he was just class, and everyone loved having him there. Um, and you know, the quote of the day: "I had my fastest time, and the race was 15 minutes ahead of me." The German said, "I like to see that. It's a good time to retire." Like, yeah, you know, such a great such a great uh, ambassador for our sport. He gets it though. Like he's not crazy. I mean, he knows like he had a day out and he was still quarter of an hour past. Like at that point he knows he's made the right decision, you know, and, and he was again though, like, you know, he's not going out, uh, you know, nine hours struggling along Polani or let you drive at the end and just look at, you know, like what a way to go, right? Like he goes out not as the winner, but as someone who, He's still going sub eight. That's not by any stretch of the imagination easy to do uh, in that field. And, and you know, who's to say, you know, that he, um, 
you know that could have gone better but i mean that 755 that's just that's a big day out and and i don't know it's fitting that he doesn't sort of come in as this punch drunk dude just you know wanting to have one last round yeah absolutely it just it it just it was such a feel good event uh you know the highlights in terms of the feel good events Sudar, uh, chelsea sudaro um doing doing the whole mom thing so well and 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 being such a great ambassador and then uh sebastian uh being such a great ambassador as well as he as he finished out his time um yeah Oof. just it's, it's so so many there's a couple of really awesome moments for our sport yeah for it absolutely sure is. and it you know it leaves again it, it opens up more too with those guys um you know looking at other races and things like that it just it try to find who's going to fill the void or the vacuum from that is pretty pretty fun too absolutely where it's been a tough year or a tough few years for ironman with the well for everybody with the pandemic but if we come out of uh last week's uh kona experience with anything it is that um we are ironman is uh in terms of elite racing and pro racing, and I think you know the PTO has a lot to do with this. We're in for some very exciting times, and um, the sport that end of the sport is is looking really good, and uh, that's very exciting. Did you get much of a sense of the PTO over there? Uh, not a lot, and I think that's too bad. Um, but again. Um, uh there it, it's behind the scenes in a huge way if that makes sense so yeah. you know the fact that you know when 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 chelsea sodaro talks maternity leave and the opportunity for women to um continue in this sport um after starting a family that's all pto right like that you know yeah. it, it, iron man's not and not sort of sending folks money um, when they head off, head off to to start their family, that's the PTO doing that. Um, and so um, my hat goes off to to all that they're doing, and you know, really raising the bar for the ability for people to uh, to make a living in the sport. So yeah, um, yeah. so that's it. Wasn't you know obviously the, it's Ironman and PTO, and they are getting into competition with each other and everything, but. Um, you know, certainly lots of pros racing with the PTO um, on their on their kit, and um, yeah, which is fantastic. So uh, subtly was there in in a really good way. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, it's uh, they've got to get at some point they'll get it together and maybe do something uh, more substantial. But at this point in time, they are simply bystanders in this big race. Um, Kevin, uh, overall, would you how would you rate your experience in Kona with uh, ten being uh, the greatest uh, I've had the greatest time ever, to one being get me the hell out of here? I didn't realize I landed in this joint. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure I'm, I can really rate this, and it I, it's so hard. Like I just got off a plane yesterday. Um, it was a tough slog. No two ways around that. Uh, with the two days of racing, it just, you know, and, 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 you know, we talked about Sharon having this great race. Like 
Um, I'm still behind on getting my photo gallery from the women's race up because, um, you know, I, I finished, got as much stuff as I could for the pro women. And then I was out on the course cheering on Sharon and I was just never able to catch up. Um, so that's, that, that was the thing that I just came out of this. Kona is normally the busiest week uh, of my year. Um, and it just felt like everything was doubled up and, and it was really hard to go. So, um, you know, if I, I probably would give it a, um, uh, a five to five to a seven just because it, it was so hard. But um, at, at the end of the day, um, I cannot wait. I, I now have to put together a, a, the November issue of the magazine. And I'm just so excited with all this stuff. There are like I, I, I'm not going to have any problems uh, filling up, um, I'm going to be going to my publisher and asking for more pages than we normally do, yeah. uh, just because there's so many amazing stories out of it. So, um, you know, five to seven, but 10 in terms of my excitement level of <laughs> coming out of, of being able to do that. Well, mate, uh, once again, what a good hour we've had chatting about all this and, uh, and your time over there, which is invaluable. You're a man on the ground. want to thank, uh, Mark Allen, of course, we want to thank Bob Babbitt and, of course, Lionel Sanders for their contribution over the uh, the journey of the last couple of podcasts. Super happy to have them on board. Kevin, I'm going to let you go and get yourself another copy. Um, we're sitting here at the moment in uh, waiting for this weather event to hit us. I don't even know what that means. But thank you very much for your time. Don't forget uh, to jump on and check out all things that Zwift are doing. We want to thank them for being on board as well for this last couple of podcasts. Uh, and Kevin, we're going to start lining up for St. George, which, um, you know. Yeah, it's just, just a few weeks away and good luck. I hope uh, the building of the arc goes well. Um, <laughs> and, you know, knowing your woodworking skills, I would suggest you you get some folks to help you out with that because springing a leak uh, is not going to be good. No, we're drowning. There's no doubt. Uh, Kevin, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for everyone listening out there. Really appreciate everyone's support and uh, and giving us a listen over the journey. Um, don't forget, uh, if you like us, you can follow Kev uh, or me on the Twitter or Life of Try at Instagram. This is the Life of Try. We are triathlon for your ears. We'll see you in a little while. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for listening to The Life of Try. If you like us, tell your mates and follow us on Instagram at The Life of Try.